welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome to a Time Shifters podcast interview special. Anyone who's listened to the show for a little while knows how much I love independent films. And the only thing I like better than watching independent films is actually speaking to the people behind them. And that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. Tom and I have uh, Timothy Stevens, who is a writer-director of uh, several short films, as well as uh, he's done some uh, television work and everything. We're all going to get to that when we talk to him. But his newest film, The Ghost Lights, will be de- debuting uh, video on demand August 26th. Timothy Stevens, thank you very much for talking with us tonight. Yeah, nice to meet you guys, and thanks for having me on. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. So I want to get to The Ghost Lights, of course, but I always like going back a little bit and learning a little bit more about filmmakers in general, just why they kind of chose that career or, or why they've chosen that path. And I'd really like to hear that from you. So what, what led you to the filmmaking world? Yeah, you know, my uh, my mom, who is actually a Methodist pastor now, originally uh, before uh, that re- is a retired professional photographer. So, um you know, uh, that kind of meant I grew up around images, you know, still images. So I, I spent much of my childhood in a, a photography studio, uh, breathing in that sweet smell of uh, developer fluid. I don't know if that was good <laughs> or bad for me. But, um, uh, you know, so there's a bit of that. But but also, you know, her, her education in college, at least at that point, you know, I'm not sure what they do now, but for photography, you actually had to take a number of film courses. And part of that was like film history and film theory. So, you know, as um, as a as a kid, my mom exposed me to a lot of uh old horror movies and when i say old i mean like nosferatu and the cabinet of dr caligari and nice, um, yes. the uh the golem you know um all, all of these you know a lot of those are the kind of german expressionist horror and you know and uh, you know as a kid who up until that point all i had seen was like disney films you know <laughs> land before time maybe um, that was mind blowing. And, you know, and especially, and I, I talk about this a lot, but the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a, a piece of avant-garde performance art and as well as a, a horror film. And I, I think for me, that was such a eye opener to go like, okay, like the, you can, you know, film can be entertainment, but it can also be art. Um, and it can be scary all at the same time. And that, that was more or less what launched me on this kind of lifelong mission to, I think, the ulti- ultimate version of myself is I'm making, like, gothic horror. Um, you know, and, and it can be period film. It can be newer films. But that's kind of it's kind of what I strive for is that gothic aesthetic, you know, uh, abandoned 
castles and you know uh, villages where you know there's something brewing beneath the the surface and there might be witches or uh, something involved you know all of those kind of archetypes are things that I get really excited about um, in addition to um, kind of more recently is my obsession with um, kind of paranormal subjects uh, which also include things like UFOs you know I, I think like I mean, I'm sure you guys know with all the congressional hearings that are happening around UAPs and like there's almost this like it's risen into our like uh, common zeitgeist to where we're all thinking about this right now. Um, And that led me down the road of like reading the Mothman prophecies and like getting into like some really incredible like uh, if you believe that they're telling the truth, some really like terrifying nonfiction you know, like if this is real, holy crap, that's scary mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of territory. And that's that's kind of what started with uh, the ghost lights is that kind of like rabbit hole that I found myself diving into, especially the Mothman prophecies and like John Keel and um, the uh, yeah, his whole thing is is just really incredible and also very terrifying. <laughs> Some of the. uh the crypto creature kind of uh, stories, you know, the Bigfoots, the Mothman, you know, things like that. It, those are the fun stories where at first blush you go like, okay, whatever. But you hear some of the stories from these people and you're like, that sounds really real. And like you said, if it is, it does send that shiver down your spine. You know, it's like you don't want it to be real just as much as you want it to be real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think about, you know, and, and we, we put, put this in the film, you know, is um, it, it doesn't make it into the Richard Gere version, really. But, you know, a whole section of the Mothman prophecies of the book is, you know, after the Mothman was seen and the uh, a little bit before and right after the Silver Bridge collapsed, these men in black uh, appeared in town and you know they they didn't have any facial hair and they like talked weird and they it was almost like they read like a a really quick how to be human book um, <laughs> and they they're definitely not a part of the government like just rule that out um and their purpose seems to be to just come in like scare people really um, and that especially really got under my skin and that, that became a lot of like what I started to try to put into the ghost lights. Um, and it, so much as I actually play a man in black in, uh, in the ghost lights. So <laughs> I was going to ask you that because every good otherworldly lights mystery story needs a man in black. I was going to ask if you had fun kind of bringing that entity to life yourself. I did, you know, and, um, you know, initially, really, especially before I read the Mothman prophecies, is you know my uh, view of Men in Black was the uh, franchise, you know, that we all know, sure. um, and they're all kind of fun and friendly, and you know they're kind of like Fox Mulder esque, you know, but like with superpowers. Um, and when, the, when I started to read like the actual accounts, you know, like they're what I just described, and. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure I was going to play the man in black. I thought maybe someone else might. And then logistically it just, uh, it made sense because it was only a couple of scenes that I would play it. And I was like, well, you know, they don't have any hair. 
in most accounts. So I, I like took a picture of myself and I photoshopped out my eyebrows and my goatee and everything and a mustache. And I showed it to my wife and she went, Holy shit. What is this? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Oh damn. Now I have to do it. Um, so I, I, that night I shaved my eyebrows off and shaved everything off and wow. put on, uh, this, you know, hat and uh, a bow tie and looked in the mirror and I was like, my skin crawled. I was like, well, I guess I have to do it now. Cause it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, it's uh, perfect. You know? Sure. Sure. No one else <laughs> could have done it. it. Only you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I committed at that point. I shaved my eyebrows off. So, well, yeah, once those are gone, you've got no choice. Yep. <laughs> That description and the description of the Mothman, Men in Black, and everything. I wonder if the guys that put together uh, Fringe, if you watched that series, uh, they had mm. the, um, oh, I can't think what they were called. They had the figures that would show up at all these historical moments and everything, and they were all in a suit, but they were all bald, hairless, Yeah, that's pale skin. like a, a direct, you yeah. know, I mean, really what they did is they read the Mothman prophecies and said, yep, that, you know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. I mean, it, it's so much creepier than, you know, uh, like this shadow government thing, you know, like it's something pretending to be a shadow government, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like, that's scary. <laughs> Anything that isn't what it appears to be is uh, potentially some great fodder for horror, you know. Yeah. Stepping back a little bit, I I love the fact that it was your mother that introduced you to all these things because typically you always hear stories about oh my dad or my grandfather or whatever. It's always sort of the male that's got the horror history or yeah. the horror stuff under their belt. I love it when I hear it's someone's mom or, or someone's grandmother. I've actually have a friend that <laughs> their grandmother really? took them to their first first horror movie, and I think that's just I I, I love that little twist. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, you know, my wife and I, we had our first kid in during 2020, actually three, four months before we filmed The Ghost Light. So he was a little guy when we were filming. And uh, it's been our pleasure to slowly move him into the it's starting with nightmare for christmas right now you know sure. <laughs> um but uh which he's obsessed with at the moment but you know i mean i gotta let him get a little bit older until i get into like the uh a little bit heavier stuff you know i i tried to show him sleepy hollow and i was like five minutes in and like a head rolled and i was like we're watching something else <laughs> sorry <laughs> maybe just not yet we'll come back to that one <laughs> now you mentioned you know photography and uh, your mom was a photographer and you got into photography and I noticed that you used uh, photography to sort of be um, story elements, storytelling elements in ghost lights. So I'm assuming that was some of your work there. Yeah, it, it was. Um, you know, I went to, so we, we filmed, it's a road trip movie. So, you know, in short, uh, Alexandra, she's a journalist, goes off to New York big magazine job writing and she comes back home after the death of her father who is also a journalist um and discovers this tape with mysterious interviews about this person having a dramatic encounter with ghost lights back in the 70s and she goes on this road trip across the breadth of texas the literal like entire width of texas um to discover the truth and um you know, in, in the film kind of climaxes in this town called Terlingua, which is a real place. It's um, it's a ghost town that's been around 
for a couple hundred years at least, probably right on the edge of Big Bend. It's uh, it's like something out of a Tarantino or like Robert Rodriguez film. It's you know, and people live there. They call it a ghost town, but there's a handful of people that live there. Um, and you know, I went there for the first time uh, for Dia de los Muertos in 2018, I think, and I uh, took a lot of photos then um, because they've got this very picturesque. Uh, Hispanic cemetery with these incredible, I forgot what they call them, um, but they're these adobe uh, tombs, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of those photos actually made it into the film. And I I kind of imagined Arthur, her father, you know, as he he gets this phone call from this guy who wants to talk about these weird lights. And against his better judgment, he drives 700 miles across the entire breadth of Texas to listen to this story in the saloon out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I kind of pictured him like waiting around for night to fall when he's going to go to this prearranged meeting and taking some photographs mm-hmm. uh, as he does. Um and uh, it kind of gave me an opportunity to include some of those photos. And we actually ended up shooting more because we we wanted to kind of like uh, integrate some of these photographs into some of the settings that are actually described in the film. So um, like one of the first stories is Mario uh, talks about seeing the lights at a distance from his cabin out on the edge of the uh, uh the mine there in Terlingua. Um, so we actually found an old cabin and we, we shot these photos as if it was like the ruin of his childhood home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was a lot of fun, you know, and I, I think I've, yeah, I've actually got a, uh, one of the uh, day of the dead uh, photographs from right over here that didn't make sense to put in the film because it's like a very specific point in time. But right. um, yeah, it's just, it's a really weird, magical part of the world and you know and i think i put this line in the film where uh arthur is kind of waxing poetic about terlingua and he says it feels like the very edge of the world and that was actually what i said out loud the first time i saw the sunset over the uh the the wasteland Mm -hmm. (laughs) surrounding terlingua is i was like i feel like if i went over those mountains i would drop into the abyss you know um so it's it's a really cool place that um i don't know like not a lot of people know about it. I know about it. I know some people that know about it, but it's still kind of a hidden gem at this point. Yeah, and right for inspiration. Of it? Um, you know, I had uh, my boss at the time. I, I was uh, before I went, you know, big boy, self-employed filmmaker. Um, <laughs> he, uh, it, uh, I was actually working for a television station. We were doing like reality TV stuff. And um, I think he went on vacation to Mexico. He had family that lived in Mexico and he was actually going across the border and he passed through Terlingua on the way. And he was like, Hey, you need to check this out. Cause he knew I was into cemeteries and weird Gothic stuff. You know, uh, he was like, there's this crazy cemetery and it looks like something out good, the bad and the ugly. You should go check it out. <laughs> um, and I was like, Terlingua, that's not even a word in Spanish. Like what a, how strange, you know, what does that mean? Terra lingua, tongue, earth, you know, like in like all these question marks started to like come into my head. And I was like, uh, and I looked it up and I saw that, you know, really the most remarkable thing is once a year, they hold this incredible Day of the Dead celebration after dark with candles and, you know, uh, uh, a 
Alpharetta's and you know, and the whole the whole thing, and people dress up in amazing costumes um, in this little town in the middle of nowhere, right? So uh, yeah, so that was kind of the inspiration for for that. And um, I mean, now I like it's a place that I get like homesick for. I'm like, I just need to go to Terlingua. That's it's a. Uh, <laughs> 10 hours away away from me <laughs> right now, you know? Uh, it's definitely a character unto itself in the film. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's um, it's like Narnia or something, you know? It's uh, um, it's Mordor. It's, it's uh, some sort of distant, strange land, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, and the use of the, the photography and all that while having the conversations in the film it kind of gave it some of that power because like you were talking about the ruins of the cabin and you're staring at the ruins of the cabin while the character is talking about what happened from the view from the window. And it's that less is more kind of thing. You're seeing the ruin and your mind gets to fill in the rest of what happened. I'm glad to hear you say that because, I mean, that's definitely what we were going for is, you know, um, I mean, this is kind of a sci-fi podcast, so I'm I'm sure you guys are aware of uh, The Vast of Night um, on Amazon Prime. Um, Oh, shamelessly not. Yeah, shamelessly not. so good. It's it's like... Putting it on the list. It seems to... happened like kind of after sometime after Roswell in New Mexico in like the 1950s. Um, and you know, it's, it's basically this, uh, UFO like descending upon this little town. And, um, there's one point where this person is trying to get a radio story about what's happening and they're recording a woman talking about basically her husband disappearing, I think maybe getting abducted. And, um, she tells the story that it's a single shot and it lasts for seven or eight minutes and they don't cut away to anything. So you don't see reenactments, you know, it's not like, um, fire in the sky where we see these amazing, you know, like, uh, abduction sequences, you know, it's, it's real low tech. Um, and when I watched it, uh, it kind of felt like a freaking magic trick. Like I realized that I had pictured everything that she said as if I was like listening to a fireside story. Um, and, and I also realized that it was also way more terrifying than anything they could have like put on screen because it was happening here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I was like, I want to do that <laughs> because that's like interactive cinema. That's like, I'm yes. a participant. Clearly you, you know? took some inspiration from that. Cause uh, that oh, totally. was the effect totally. that I got out of that. Is well, good. Yeah. He, he's describing the scene, but you're just focused on pretty much a single image. And you're like, I, I can I can see it happening whether or not it's on the screen. Yeah, well, I, I'm good to hear. You know, it's yes. it's something. It was it was a long shot. It was it was a gamble. You know, but um, I like the idea of uh, interactive story. And you know, some of my favorite films never show the monster. You know, like I think about the haunting. Yes, uh, thank you. From their 60s mm-hmm. uh, or early 70s, whenever 63. it was. 63. Yeah, yeah. So they never show the the ghost, not once, and it's probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. You know, it's so spooky uh, because what you start to imagine is so much worse than anything they could ever show you. You know, um, and so I, yeah, I take a lot. I respect a lot of movies that 
uh, attempt to do that. And it's a gamble, you know, like you've got a, it it's not for everybody. Not everyone's going to sit there and have the patience to become, uh, we watch movies sometimes to be passive, you know, uh, passive experiences. And that's kind of a, it's a much more active experience. You're kind of having to like put something back into the movie. Um, which is cool. I think it's cool that movies can do that. You gave a little bit of synopsis of the film and everything. Your star, Katriva Phillips, is that how you, Katriva? Yes, Katriva. As as uh, Alex. I really liked her, and mostly because she was not what you would typically find in a movie of this genre. She mm. was just a little atypical. You know, she's not your... Um, She's not. She's not your final girl. Yes, you know, thank, like, thank wearing you. A, yes. Wearing a tube top, you know, like running away from the the dude with a knife. You know, yes, exactly. Um, but she's also not like um, uh, kind of the character from Alien. You know, who's you know uh, uh, gearing up and becoming like a Amazon warrior woman, right? Like, right. It's, you know, it's those are your typical like if you need a, a female character, that's kind of how you slot them into horror films. You know, in my actual note, I wrote that, that the fact that she seemed more real, quote unquote, and, and familiar as a person, it, it actually helps draw you into the story. That's that's awesome. Yeah. in And that was um, there's definitely a conscious decision. You know, I mean, this is a this is a pretty quiet movie. And, you know, it, it is beneath the surface a uh, a family movie it's about uh the estrangement between a father and daughter and the regret that um can occur when we uh sometimes allow relationships to just kind of fade into obscurity um and how much more tragic when they're like these close relationships that you know, you always intended on like cultivating it, just, you know, life happens or death in this instance. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that necessitated a much, um, I don't know, like a more realistic, uh, character, um, there, you know, someone, like, I, I hope people can watch this and kind of feel like I have a lot of empathy with her. Um, you know, I actually had someone recently said, I didn't like Alex when, uh, the movie opens, um, but I liked her by the end and I think that's pretty cool. You know, like I, I think like very different genre of like Dr. Strange, for instance, like what a freaking jerk at the beginning uh, <laughs> of that film. And I'm like, I'm such a huge Benedict Cumberbatch fan. Like I, I hated to hate him, you know? <laughs> um, but there's like, they do, they do a little magic trick in that film. And at some point, and I don't know when it happens, you start liking him a lot, right. you know? And, um, and that's pretty cool, you know. So I, I that that was kind of a tangent there. That's that's something that, uh, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. So I, I'm glad that uh, was communicated <laughs> that that came across. So, no, I thought she was great, and I yeah, I just appreciated that she wasn't as you said. She's not the Sigourney Weaver. She's not the your typical right. final girl. She just seemed like someone I could relate with because she looked like someone that I would bump into in my life that our paths could cross. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which made yeah, that's cool. Yeah, which made the whole story seem a little bit more like, well, this could happen because it's happening to someone that I just saw at the grocery store. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you know, I mean, she's a bit of an avatar for myself too. I mean, all all the all writers do this to some degree. Uh, those of us that do it too much start to realize that you've got to like 
obscure yourself behind characters, you know, because it can get far too like personal and cringy. But, you know, um, I'm a writer, she's a writer and, you know, I'm very familiar with what happens to her in the film, which is, um, something crosses your path. You look into it and it's mildly interesting. You look deeper into it. It, something happens and it hooks you by the gut and you find yourself almost in this magnetic pool of obsession, you know, pool is in like, it's grabbing you by the throat and like taking you on a, a journey sometimes against your will. Um, and that's something that I experienced. Like when I read the Mothman prophecies, it was like this, uh, tidal pool, you know, like, <laughs> like, a like a tractor beam on me. Um, and that's what happens to Alex in the film is that the the ghost lights turn into this obsession. And, you know, and her father experiences the, the, the same thing where he just like he can't not look into it, you know, to, to turn away would be impossible or to turn away would be death, you know. <laughs> so there's no no other option but to dive into the abyss, you know. Now, you used uh, audio cassettes as tools for exposition and kind of entry points into chapters of the story. And even from the trailer, when they first appeared, it gave me a real, the Norless tapes vibe. Are you familiar with the Dan Curtis directed, uh, William Nolan written TV movie? No, I'm not. Oh, interesting. Tom, you and I watched that, I think last Halloween. We did. Yes. Yeah. That's a story about a journalist who, um, disappears and his editor finds a collection of tapes and he starts playing the tapes, and then you, you know, he just does this introduction on the tape, and then you watch the entire story. Very cool. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that sounds very similar. Yeah, I, I'm very intrigued by that. You know, because there's something very like uh, mysterious about tapes. You know, mm-hmm. and like when you, if you want to get like into the weeds on like paranormal thought, you know, there's like stone tape theory, which is this idea that like minerals or things can like absorb energy and absorb memory and that maybe sometimes hauntings are those things visualized and like externalized right so it might not have any like brain either no consciousness um but there's something interesting about tapes right and i actually i'm working on another film completely separate but also a lot of parallels a documentary where i was talking to a dj and he's haunted by a lot of these people that he met that he lost during the scene from drugs and all this, this sort of thing. And, um, to him, he experiences like almost like they're ghosts, you know, uh, in the places that he used to see them in, you know, in this interview that is in this forthcoming film that I'm still working on. He, he says, you know, it's kind of like a tape, right? Back in the day, we used to make mixtapes and he was saying for me personally, I was recording a lot of stuff with like heavy bass, um, and, and then I would re-record over that when something else would come on or I was recording on the radio and you often could still hear that, that get the layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it almost becomes the ghost of the song that was, was playing and the memory of the song that was playing and it's magnetic again, you know, all, all of these things have really interesting, like, uh, kind of symbolic ideas, but it's also just spooky. Like there's something spooky about like a tape, you know, especially a very old tape that you listen to, you know, we actually bought a whole bunch of antique tapes off of eBay for this. And a lot of them had like 
Dolly Parton and, <laughs> you know, uh, Credence, Clearwater Revival and all this because they're from like the, I think I found one that was actually 78, like it was the right year. And, um, you know, li- listening to Dolly Parton on a tape that's like 45 years old, um, it it doesn't sound good it sounds very unsettling <laughs> you know <laughs> starts to warp and you uh-huh. have a lot of noise and you know and there's something just super spooky about that so um yeah it works is it for for horror i think especially in this day when we're, we're used to everything being so crisp you know a tape is just uh it's weird and therefore it's kind of unsettling. Yeah. I don't know if we're I, ever going to see like a, a horror film based around a, a cursed iPod or something. <laughs> I, you know, uh, like, uh, now you just gave him his next idea. Yeah, I, I was just thinking like, we need to pitch that to bloom house. They'll, they'll figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> now, while we're talking about the tapes, I liked your, how you chose to represent from there, the story, um, still using the tape concept. She is listening to an audio cassette tape, but as the audience now gets to perceive the story as she's hearing it, it presents as a VHS uh, style tape. And complete with the crackles and the breaks and the rips and, all that. and yeah, yeah 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 and, and I, I really kind of dug that transition so okay she's listening but i am seeing and there's still the cassette regardless that was a nice touch oh thank you yeah i think there again it's just like vhs like it can be really spooky you know like we just start getting tracking issues and you know ripping and tearing and um you know, and the weird images that, you know, I think, you know, they call it pareidolia when you start to look at static and see faces, you know, like all, all of that. I was going to mention uh, how often a lot of paranormal investigator types love to point a ca- camera with a VHS tape at a screen playing yeah. static to get the constant. Yeah, they, they actually, there's, um, there's a thing called... Uh, the name is escaping at me at the moment. Uh, ITC enter something transcommunication. I forgot the word, but ITC. Um, and it basically, there's these maniacs like back in the sixties and seventies that they were like, we think we can communicate with ghosts by setting up a tube television, uh, running static on it and then hooking that up to a cable on a camera and then pointing that camera back at the television and creating this like, (laughs) Um, this loop and it starts to do really weird things. And if you stare at it long enough, you start to feel like you're seeing stuff in it. Uh, yeah, ITC, that's, that's some weird stuff. And like, you know, it can have sound too. You start to get like echoes upon echoes upon echoes upon echoes. And I know this is not a paranormal podcast. Uh, if it was, I could really get deep on this because <laughs> all, all of that, like, is a filmmaker well, and we interview in October. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that is a filmmaker and storyteller. Like it's just the story possibilities are endless and, you know, you just start to imagine what if, you know, yeah, it's always the, the what if that it probably intrigues me most. And I, I, I love the, the films that kind of explore that a little bit. And even if, if it's, even if it's just using things like 
tape is just introductions to that story. But yeah, yeah. when you're looking at that blank tape, even just looking at it, you, you pick up a cassette or a VHS or something like that. There is that what's on it because you don't know. And no one's yeah. written on it. It's just a tape, and you know. Yeah, it's, it's it, a it's a simple handheld mystery, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you look at that cassette, you see that. Well, it's halfway through, so something's on here. But what could it be? You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's even worse when there's something cryptic written on it. <laughs> right, like do not play. Yeah, like, <laughs> something, <you know? laughs> well, now I gotta. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, when it went to, like, casting Arthur, yeah, because a majority of his lines were going to be kind of being played back as a like, journalist recording on a tape and everything, did that kind of affect the casting, trying to find someone that's got the right voice? You know, it's um, so Arthur is played by John Francis McCullough, and he's actually a co-producer on the film. And I've kind of come to the point where I just find a role for him in everything I do because <laughs> he's a really great actor. He's super handsome. You know, uh, I'm jealous. Very chiseled jaw, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, though, is, I mean, he's he's a Texan, but he grew up mostly in uh uh, New York and then moved back here. And so he, he's a little disdainful for cowboys, you know? Um, <laughs> and he, he's vegan. So he doesn't wear, he at least doesn't wear cowboy boots, you know? Um, and, uh, it was really funny when I wrote this, I mean, I really had him in mind. I mean, the dream casting would have been like Matthew McConaughey, but I knew we weren't going to get that. <laughs> so, so I, I wrote the script and I put it in front of him and I said, Hey, can you just impersonate Matthew McConaughey for this? He's like, what? I was like, it's a cowboy role. He goes, God damn it. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> But then he read it and he, I mean, I think he was really intrigued by it because it is, uh, and then again, it's a writer, you know, and it's, um, I, I think in a way it's kind of, a, Arthur's like a rhinestone cowboy that likes to, you know, look the part, but he's not about to jump on a horse and, you know, uh, rustle up some cattle, you know, but um, yeah, so I, you know, I think I really wrote it for for him. Um, in fact, most of the characters I wrote for the people that played them in this film. So I always knew Katriba would be Alex. And um, I actually met Billy Blair years ago, probably a decade ago, in a, a goth club. He was wearing a tall cowboy or a tall top hat, and he kind of looked like Edgar Allan Poe, and he had like <laughs> lace cuffs and. I was like, that guy's cool. I'm going to go talk to him. And he's like, I'm an actor. And I was like, cool. What have you been in? And he's like, uh, well, you've heard of this film called Machete. It's like Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. He was like, well, I, I'm in both of them. Um, and uh, Sin City, do you know that one? I'm like, yep. Yes. <laughs> and so it turns out he's a local, uh, but is kind of in the pocket of all of these like really cool genre directors. A lot of them from Texas, but um, at the time, you know, I was just making some short films and I asked him like, so you play a lot of shoot 'em up, you know, kind of villains. Um, what kind of role, if someone could give you your dream sort of role, would that be? And he was like, well, I would love to have a really quiet, introspective part because I don't get to do that often. 
you know, he does sometimes, but mm-hmm. you know, more often he gets typecast as a, a guy with a Uzi, you know, um, action guy. Yeah. And he, he looks apart for it totally. But, um, you know, when I started coming up with the idea for this and the idea of Mario, this man who uh, is really haunted by this experience, uh, I immediately thought of, uh, Billy Blair. Um, and he did, he did a tremendous job and it's, it's interesting too, because he actually, um, he kind of became a co-writer in this film as well because he 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 deviated from the script and he started to just kind of tell the story, you know, as if it were his own memory of it, um, which was way more authentic than anything I could possibly like write. He really like followed followed through <laughs> with that, you know. So that was a really cool opportunity, and yeah. So everybody kind of like the only if one was like the Man in Black. I thought maybe we'd find somebody. <laughs> And it made sense for me to do it, so why not? Excellent. No. Actually, since you since you just mentioned that, I actually want to ask now. The character Arthur at one point actually suggests to Mario that he should have been a writer. <laughs> Did any of that come out of uh, him just starting to narrate on his own? <laughs> no, that was a bit of like. Uh, self-glorification there because i wrote these <laughs> monologues and um you should be a writer mario well uh i guess i i'm a writer wrote that so. <laughs> anyway i do cringe a little bit sometimes when i hear that line in the film i was like eh, it's okay it's fine but, but well, i know so I put that you in see, there. you're selling it pretty well since you mentioned <laughs> he kind of ad-libbed a bit he did yeah i mean there's pieces on there you know um if you were to compare the script and compare, you know, the performance um, and really some of these like stories that he tells, like it, for, even for a theater actor, it would have been a mon- monumental task to internalize all these things verbatim. Um, so, you know, I knew from the get go that I said, like, hey, let's try to get this in. But um, if you can just kind of start recalling it like a memory, that's probably going to be better than anything we could possibly rehearse, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, and, um, you know, and to me at this point, I'm not sure what's what anymore. I would literally have to like get the script and like <laughs> look at it to, to know a hundred percent, like what is him and what, what we put in the script, you know? Yeah. Well, it put, went off really well. Cause yeah, you felt like he was remembering things from his childhood or from his past. And it, it, it came across as very real and very authentic, as you said, but uh, yeah, John Francis McCullough, just those little opening lines on that tape you know sitting here at the table you know i'm on my third beer he's drinking a cup of like i want him to like read books for me (laughs) (laughs) you know i he would love to to hear that i'll let him know you know and it was it was funny it was interesting because we were also in pre-production for our, our next feature film uh called dead hand which is like this action comedy about a doomsday device um lots of martial arts john francis is a a martial artist um he literally know knows kung fu is (laughs) what i like to joke about but um so he was practicing for that role in it's actually an irishman like a um I I think it was kind of like a northern Irish accent. So it's like a very specific area of that country. And so he was also trying to like learn to do that and be a cowboy at the same time, all while being basically somebody from Brooklyn, you know. So um, that was uh, that was very, very cool watching him because I'm not an actor, really, you know, so. 
uh, I'm always amazed at that, like, kind of uh, transformation process that an actor has to, to go through to, like, become a character, you know? Right. You did have the easy part just having to be the quiet guy with no eyebrows. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I do have some lines in there, you know, um, but not much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I definitely really dug the ghost lights. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great little uh, story. It draws you in. The whole time you're sitting there, you're trying to figure it out. And I really can't think mm-hmm. of a better compliment for a, a, a mystery thriller. You know, if you're sitting there going, well, yeah, I'm entertained, but are you actively trying to figure things out? And in this film, I really found myself kind of like, I was trying to get to the end before Alex, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. Awesome. I shouldn't keep you for any for all that much longer. I do want to mention uh, you have uh, several short films that have been making the festival circuits and everything. Um, all some of them are available on your website at uh, timstevensfilms dot com. Yeah, that's not. I, I don't update that much anymore. Okay. Um, but that is kind of a repository for some of my older stuff. Okay. Um, and then all of our feature film uh, production is on spectrographfilms.com, um, which is S P E C T R O G R A P H yep. spectrograph. Um, and you'll you'll see some trailers for um, pretty much all of our work. Uh, even we have some trailers for the stuff that's kind of also in production and also in post-production right now, uh, dead hand. And then that documentary dark sanctuary that's about the goth club, which is actually the same goth club that I met, uh, Billy, Billy Blair at nice. funnily enough. Um, now we're making a documentary about it. So Excellent. Um, very cool. Well, I'll have but, all the yeah. links. I'll have all the links in the show notes for the, that go along so people can, uh, can, go and follow and check out some of your work and everything. But uh, everything I've, I've seen has just intrigued me. And there's a few of your short films. Like I, I saw, I watched the resurrectionist. Oh yeah. Thank you. That's probably the one I'm most proud of. Yeah. Well, that was the one where I was thinking this needs to be a feature film. <laughs> That's I want to see is, more. It is a feature film script. Right. Um, it's a damn expensive feature <laughs> film script. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a civil well, it's it's slightly post Civil War, so it's like Reconstruction era um, voodoo horror action mm-hmm. movie. Um, so I, it's like a made up genre there, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah it's a really expensive movie, but one that I would love to make at some point. But it's, it's got a lot of scale to it. Like the the short film is very contained as a short film has to be. But um, yeah, that's definitely there. There's a whole there's a whole adventure that uh, the short film is basically the catalyst to that um, I would love to make one day for sure. All right. So <laughs> anyone with a deeper pocket, deeper pockets than I, you know where to find the. <laughs> Tim to go. You have go our get this moral made. support. Well, that's <laughs> I, that's worth something, I think. <laughs> All right, well, sir, I don't want to uh, take up any more of your night. I appreciate you come on and talking with us. Uh, we really enjoyed the film. Uh, we're looking yes. forward to seeing anything else you come up with uh, in the future. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, so. Um... I, I've I've been doing so many of these interviews that I've forgotten if we mention it, but August twenty sixth um, mm-hmm. is when the film drops on VOD. Um, so Tubi, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, um, Google Play, Apple Movies, um, and then on um, 
the 2nd of November on the Terror Films YouTube channel, we're actually going to do a live stream of the film. I think it's um, September, isn't it? September 2nd? Yeah, September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. September 2nd with a Q&A afterwards with cast and crew. And most of us will be there for that one. So Katriva and Billy and, and John Francis, we should all be there. And then again on the 9th of September on the Kings of Horror site uh, on their YouTube channel, we'll be doing a similar thing, live stream and Q&A there. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be a great place to check it out. And we will eventually start selling physical media. So for all of you like physical media buffs, um, towards the end of the year, uh, that will be li- likely something we're rolling out. So people can look out for that as well. Excellent. You make Chris I'm, very happy. You, made, you did. You make me very happy. I, I like having the disc in my hand. I don't want, I don't, I don't want some algorithm or some suit in some streaming service to go, eh, it's not yours anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it can. Yeah, that can happen. You know, I mean, the good thing about how we're rolling this out is that you know it's it's on demand. It's AVOD, which means that uh, in certain places it's going to like have advertisements over it, which I'm okay with because the access that people are going to have to this film. Yeah, is really oh, absolutely. You know, um, while I love films like or uh, streaming services like Netflix or Shutter, for example, you know, you have to have a subscription. So there's a large number of people that just aren't going to be able to watch it. You mm-hmm. know, because they they're already subscribing to 12 streaming services, you know? Um, so in this case, you know, a lot of people are going to get to watch it and it's going to be very easy. My grandmother could pull out the ghost lights whenever it comes out and watch it on her phone, you know? Oh, so, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, the- Although watch it on a big screen. I'm not for watching movies on phones. I'm very against that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> As am I. Yep. Excellent. Well, sir, thank you again for, for talking with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything, uh, you know, future endeavors and everything. And I, I hopefully get a chance to talk with you again sometime. Excellent. Yeah, let's stay in touch. Mm-hmm.